Holy moly, welcome to, oh, that's not how I do it, kia ora, and welcome to Unsung NZ, the very first episode, exciting. Anyway, my name is Christian Ercolano, and that's a mouthful. Um, let's get on with the show. Like I said, this is my first guest, um, Josh Fountain. He is behind so much music that I'm not really going to list it, but right now, during a lockdown of 2020, <laughs> just to date the podcast, Josh was screaming through the charts around the world with an artist called Benny. And so he, uh, man, he's just flying high. This guy changed the podcast completely. So I walked into this podcast thinking about my friends and some oldies that had passed away and thinking that was sad. Bumped into Josh at the local um, you know, bakery, basically, uh, getting a coffee. And then um, I had done work with him. I sort of, you know, I'd worked with him semi-professionally in the past. So I knew who he was. He knew who I was. So he came around and helped anyway. And then I just suddenly realized that he's a total global player. I'm just some silly old fool um, with a bad idea for a podcast. That's now he's just turned into a brilliant idea for a podcast. So, um, yeah, it was just like he was telling me about these stems. Oh, you'll hear it. He's sending sending stems, which um, if you don't know, a stem is more of a, um, a group of tracks. Like you'll have a stem of just the vocals, a stem of just the drums. Um, of your song that you're writing and you give them to professional to shine and polish each little stem. Anyway, he's sending his stems. <laughs> he's sending his stems to the United States for um, a spike stent to use. He's famous for Massive Attack, etc. That's what made him famous, I reckon. Um, Josh is in the middle of a world scene and I went, oh, this is actually talking about the future voices of a New Zealand music and he just gave me a list of names um, to talk to next. So this is how we're going to work. Each guest will give me another name and another unsung hero, and we'll go from there. So yeah, let's get on to Josh anyway. Episode one, Unsung NZ, where I share the world, the songs New Zealand loves. So let's get it behind the minds that make the music. Cool. It's a nifty little set. Hey, it's working, Josh. Hooray. Turn that right down because it's kind of distracting. So you're my first guest. Wow, what an honour. Yeah, actually, it's an honour for me because uh, I had to do your research and suddenly realised, holy moly, you are active. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, that's a big that's a big call. I'm, I'm, I definitely am a busy boy. I will give you that. You know, I'm not going to ask you all the your favourite colour. How'd you find your band name questions? Um like I said in my little intro, that I want to get in behind the mines. So, of course, my first question is, where the hell are you from, Josh Fountain? Where am I from? Um, well, I was originally born in the UK, in Bristol. Um, but uh, both my parents are Kiwis, so um, all our family was back here. So back in, in 96, when I was uh, 10 years old, we moved back. Um, but I lived the first 10 years of my life in the UK. Straight away new information. Oh, there you go. So, Bristol, you say? Bristol, yeah. Just, just outside of Bristol, a little town called Thornbury. So about 20 minute, 15 minute drive outside of Bristol. So to 10, you don't have much, of, I don't notice an accent at all. Like, Oh, uh, that's interesting. Because some, some people notice it straight away and c- certain words, like if I'm saying 10, um, oh, yeah. people, people will really notice it and other people don't notice it. Apparently, apparently 10 years, I moved when I was 10. 
And 10 years old is apparently the kind of the cutoff for accents. So whether you retain or... This is what this uh, this is just some random thing I read somewhere. I don't know if it's true, but this is what I've been telling people for the last thirty years. You say ten like that, and I suddenly pick it, but it just sounds like someone from the South Island. New Zealand has a fascination with the, the Bristol Sound, of course, when um, you know the, the massive attack and everything like that. Just so huge here. Definitely, yeah. I had nothing to do with that and wasn't aware of that at all. <laughs> no, yeah. were you, what were you aware of then? Um, when I left the UK, um, my classmates bought me one of those compilation like the best rap album in the world dot 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 ever one of those kind of cassette things so i i remember i was i was into i was into hip hop um but i grew up like my, my I'd, I'd go to church with my parents so i i would i'd go to church and that was probably my first kind of exposure to like live music where there was like uh, I was always fascinated with like the electric guitars and all that kind of stuff just like sort of classic church band modern church band. just church band yeah. like not a cool no, not like a modern church band even just like a, I mean I guess modern for the time just the fact there were drums and electric guitar and electric bass was pretty exciting for me and that was always my favorite part especially the church music where it's like they really know how to get you like minor chords and like suck you in and all that kind of feeling music yeah, well, we're going to get to the Marla song if you want yeah. to talk that. <laughs> but uh, let's get into that later. Yeah, and uh, I think like uh, early on, I, I always loved watching Top of the Pops and that kind of stuff back when when that was on. It wasn't like a, our family was somewhat like a family that always put music on all the time. It wasn't like my parents were always playing the classics or anything. I mean, we had like pop a, music on the radio. Just not even pop. It was like it was a lot of Amy Grant, and it was we. I remember we had a box of cassette tapes, and it was the ones I remember were like Buddy Holly, and like Amy Grant, and like a kind of bunch of those sort of Christian pop artists, I guess, along the the veins of Amy Grant, which actually is great, amazing production. And songwriting, if you go back and listen to it. And the other tape I remember is that Eric Clapton, the Unplugged, oh, yeah. which was thrashed a lot. And then the, the Lion King soundtrack. Those are like kind of like the main ones I remember uh, like listening to. You t- and so you're 10 when you get the hip-hop tape? Yeah. What's, oh, what, so what year are we talking? That, that was 96. Oh, so golden hip-hop. Like White Lines and... Um, oh, so all over just... Uh, I mean, I'd love to go back and listen to it now because it would have just been back-to-back classics. But at the time, I think I just would skip forward to Gangster's Paradise or something. How's the church with you now? Are you still churchy? Are you still Christian? For some reason, I never really clicked with the church. And um, probably when I was was around sort of 18, I would stop going. But my my family still is. But luckily, they're they're very – they're really – they're awesome. Like, they've they've never pressured me to do, you know – or made me feel bad for not being oh, proper involved. Christians. Just the, uh, proper yeah. Christians, but, but like very like super cool Christians. I've always been super encouraging for. Did uh, you do any music lessons in those early UK days? Yeah, back in the UK, I would learn guitar, but the only the only option was like classical guitar, and it was very serious. So I, w- I was learning that, and then when we moved to New Zealand, I learned drums and um, I learned guitar as well for a while. You're really good at the piano. Like, how come? I, actually, I did do some piano lessons, but I'm definitely I'm not good at it. Especially now, the problem with me is with my arthritic fingers, it's meant that I, I can't really play 
my the instruments that I used to be able to play anymore. And how is, is that's an ongoing? So, is it settling? How does that work? So it was like a, ju- a JRA. So it was a junior form of the arthritis. So it was only active when I was a kid. Um, how, what age are you dealing with? Like something? three. All right. So you're not really. So well, I wasn't super aware of it. So it's kind of all I've known. But in in theory, now what's happened is it's burnt out. Um, so it's not active, but right with. With kind of arthritis, if you don't use it, you lose it. And um, I guess like so much time sitting in front of the computer and, you know, maybe not being as vigilant as I I perhaps should have been has meant that I've kind of lost a lot of the the flexibility that I need, like my wrists and fingers to be able to kind of play the guitar anymore or like play the keys well. So I've had to kind of figure out ways around that. So, but... But what it did, what it, what it's left me with is, I've still, I know in my brain what what I need from someone, or I know how things should sound, and I know, I know how to kind of program what I need to get. Um, and luckily, there's so much stuff out there now where you can kind of get away with doing all this stuff. Um, but it is, yeah, it's kind of it is um, frustrating, but oh, I mean, it's it's a complete, you know. Like here you are a musician, you know, and um, you know the, the yeah. what is it, the twelve note span is sort of you know. So I figured out my own way. So I, like I still play, like I still play like keys and stuff, but I've, I've just like my voicings and stuff are, um, are, are slightly different. They're my only <laughs> unique <laughs> voicings, and I can, like, like say if it comes to the keyboard, I'll play the keyboard, play like the right hand parts in, and then I can program in the left hand parts or replay those parts in separately and then like guitar stuff there's still some like guitar stuff that I can do or like you know you could go down to like drop D and like play with one finger or but more and more it's kind of made me realize like why don't I just work with people who are amazing musicians and instrumentalists and I can still direct them I still can speak the language of you know of what they're what they're playing and can communicate with them what I'm after. Are you talking in a musical language or just more of an expression language? Yeah, in like a musical language. Like, not that I'm, I don't know any music theory, but... um, But you do. Listen to it. But I do know, but I can can tell someone, let's make that like a minor seventh or what if we, you know, I know that, I know that if that guitarist is going to, moves up, two frets it's going to go from a like a, a g major to an a major bar chord or something so I, I can i can still kind of direct okay so um i'm gonna go a little bit back again so you're saying gangster's paradise was the one that you stuck out i vividly remember seeing gangster's paradise on top of the pops and you know having been listening to amy grant and buddy holly and eric clapton not really having heard anything like it. Like I said, like music wasn't like a massive thing yeah. in our household. So when did it become a massive thing for Josh? No, I think about it. Once I moved to New Zealand and, you know, as a kid, especially if you're like 10 years old and you moved to like a new school, you're trying to figure out how you kind of fit in. I kind of fitted in with like the hip-hop kids. What's, what school was this? I went to Royal Oak Primary for a term. And then I went to um, A&I, Auckland Normal Intermediate, which may not be the first school that comes to mind when I say hip-hop kids. <laughs> um, well, the first one did. <laughs> yeah. Um, well, once I got to New Zealand, I guess, and became more aware of of music and that kind of stuff, that's when I 
I'd kind of listen to the radio all the time and, you know, try and record songs off the radio. So I'd have a whole cassette tape where I'd be listening to the radio waiting for Bone Thugs and Harmony Crossroads to come on. And I would have a whole side of the cassette tape of just Crossroads so I could listen to it. <laughs> from start to finish. How many times they playing in a day? Yeah, yeah, between each song you get that the little the chat of the radio and stuff. Um so that's that's how you know the new one's going to start. But <laughs> I'd be quite and and there was always, it was always fascinating as well like being able to just like record stuff off the radio and listen back to it and And plus it's recording. I remember thinking when Bone Thugs came out it was like that was a whole new rap style. I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, totally. The next song came out, oh, it's the same one. I thought they were going to do another one. <laughs> but it's oh, like, nah, Bone Thugs especially when when you're young, the measure of how good of a rapper you are is how fast can you rap. Mm. And no one was rapping faster than the Bone Thugs. What was the feeling you're getting off those songs? Why was it the hip-hop songs? What was... It wasn't just because it was the cool crowd. Or was it? Um, why? I don't, yeah, I don't know why. I think I... I like... I, I don't know. I, I think I did like the culture just because it was the complete opposite of everything that I was in terms of, like, cool and, um, like, tough... I mean, if, you're talking 12 and 13 now. This is when young, you know, you'd be fighting your lions in the ancient yeah. days. And and if I if I if I couldn't be like cool and tough in real life, then I could um, I could go to like a to z lyrics dot com and find the lyrics to a rap and learn the rap, and then that would be pretty cool, man. I'd be the kid, I'd be the white the the white kids kind of like rapping Tupac or something, and I like the I don't know the, I I like yeah I guess I liked how it um I like the beats and. And the bass and how it wasn't like... Um, um, well, it's a purity of form. I found, mm. not not just, I'm jumping in, but it's because there is only a hook and a beat in the bass. Yeah. Okay, so what were the first tools? Okay, so you're rapping, so obviously your first tool is your lyrical skills. My <laughs> lyrical skills, not that, um, yeah, and I hope no one listening to this has ever, <laughs> ever asked me about it. But um, I, mean, I guess I, I, I managed to get instruments. I remember saving up to buy like an electric guitar, like a Squire electric guitar off uh, trade me that was a big deal and then the thing that got me into it was that there was a playstation i had a playstation demo disc with um, a demo of a game called music 2000 you were able to sequence loops so it had drum loops and bass loops and guitar loops and you would sequence them together you could put them together and essentially make a song there's a similar story behind nesian mystic Oh, yeah. Originally singing over a PlayStation, it, it's probably the same thing. Because they're yeah, That's I just had, I had the demo, but it it was enough to the to, to kind of make you realize, oh, okay, it's, you understand how how it's made, like the layers. These are the drums. This is the bass. This is the guitar. This is like a synth line. And if they're in the same key, then they all work together. You know, if you put this part here and that part there. So it's a Fruity Loops, basic Fruity Loops. Kind of loops. like Fruity Loops. And so that, yeah, that would have been when I was maybe like kind of 14 or something. And I think maybe after that I got uh, Fruity Loops 3. I would have, I just would have downloaded a crack. And then I was on Fruity Loops 3 and then Fruity Loops 3.5 for um, ages. And I loved it because then that was um, proper like creating music, like awful, awful music and just using the stock sounds and stuff. I didn't know anything about drum samples or... And there wasn't, like, um, the resources available like there are now. Or, like, even the internet speeds did not allow you to just jump on and download a drum kit or pack of samples or something. My son, of course, at the same age as you're talking, um, Fruity Loops. And um, FL Studio now, it's not anything silly. It just gives you such a confidence boost. You know, one of the biggest mistakes 
I made um, many big mistakes, but w one of them was thinking the reason why my songs weren't sounding professional is because I was using Fruity Loops. Like I'd need to move to Pro Tools or f to Logic or something, and of course that is not the case at all. <laughs> it was just because I had been doing it for like six months or two years, right. and things sounded like trash. I just wasn't skilled enough, you know? But mm -hmm. I, I could quite easily go back to Fruity Loops. That's why I'm very excited about this new Logic update. And that's how that's how I learned to like program all drums was just through this the step sequencer, and that's how I like to do it. Hey, so you're f mucking around with Fruity Loops. Um, obviously, you then decide to go to train up again. Yeah, I went to Mains. I, I got to the end of high school. My dad actually found that there was a DJ course at Mains. This was like around the time of like A Track and Invisible Scratch Pickles and. Turntablism. Turntablism, mm. you know, the four, one of the four elements. I could not break dance and I didn't want to rap. <laughs> and I thought, okay, maybe turntablism is for me. And um, yeah, I loved the thought of of DJing and, you know, I'd go up to the rock shop or something and look at the turntables and all that kind of stuff. And it was always like way too expensive for me to get into. But I was able to do this free DJ course at Mains, which was awesome. Like, you get, like, hands-on with the turntables and all that kind of stuff, for, for like, for the first time. And you don't really know what's going on. What's going on with the crossfader and, you know, how, how are they getting those sounds and the flares and three-click flares. And, and then I went, once I actually started doing it, I realized I was getting frustrated because I wanted to take drums from that record and use the bass line from another record and use the vocals from that one. And, of course, you know, unless you have all the versions of the record with instrumental and blah 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 <laughs> you're not going to be doing that so I, it kind of made me realize actually what, what I want to do is make I want to make my own music I think that like that's that's what really got me into the idea of doing music production because I realized I, like, I love music I love sort of making it even though what I was making wasn't great but going to mains made sense and that was the only thing that I, I felt like I could be passionate about so I did so I went I did two years at mains and um, it was awesome. I loved it. It was like the first time I'd been around other people who were as as passionate about music as I was. So again, this is like, this is before YouTube. Mm. And in Mainz, you know, they try and cover the whole spectrum of electronics and music composition and sound design and what does a music producer do or what does an audio engineer do or what like the word producer changes every sort of decade and what is your feeling of what a producer is now um depends on who you're working with but ultimately i feel like my job as a producer is to help the artist get them the song that they want get what they're hearing in their head out and kind of deliver the deliver the song you know so maybe that means um me making all the music and making the beat and stuff or maybe that means helping them kind of shape what they've already got into right. something that is... Um, I did ask you how Lonely was put together. Mm. To me, that is such a convincing singer-songwriter song where a, a, a sweet young thing is coming and sung. Oh, it. really? I actually spotted that song as yours. My daughter is 12 and on... Well, I won't let her actually on TikTok. She's only allowed to watch <laughs> YouTube videos of TikTok. Yeah. I might win this. And that song's floating around, so is Glitter. She goes, oh, f she's from New Zealand. And I went, listen, listen, that's Josh. Google, <laughs> Google. What's incredible about that is you are doing a very modern, clean, open, polished sound. And I still picked you. 
that's you should be proud of that. Wow, thanks. <laughs> yeah. uh, here's a couple of other things to be proud. I'm going to segue the proud. You were introduced to me. What era? I reckon we probably would have met in 2006. I was helping at Woodcut Production Studios. They were looking for a young talent, and they often go to Mainz for advice. They asked Angus McNaughton. Your name came up. You know, I was introduced to you as the Flash new kid. Handpicked, which is a really, you know, that's that's saying something. And then, handpicked again. Handpicked again, yeah. I mean, I don't know how many people there were to pick from, to be honest. So I started working at, at Woodcut, doing music for ads and TV and, like, production music and stuff. And the guys who own Woodcut also own the record label Move the Crowd. And if I knew the rappers would come in, I would, like, play my beats real loud through the studio, just kind of like, ooh, well, this old thing, yeah, it's yeah. just some beats that I've got. And it actually, like, you know, chucking my 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 line out to see if I could get any nibbles. Sure enough, Ash, who's um, rapping under the name Ethical on the label, mm. heard it. And anyway, long story short, we started a trio called Kids in Space. And it was kind of right at the moment where sort of hip-hop was kind of meeting dance music. And yeah, we had some really cool stuff, especially like when we started off. It was quite different. It was kind of indie. You seem to work hard on that, man. Oh, it was great. And I'm like, I'm super proud of it. Um, and it was so fun and such a good introduction to the music industry and how it works and taught me so many great lessons. We'd put out an EP and then we put out a song that we all kind of liked. It wasn't our favorite song, but we knew that it was a poppy song and it was a song called Downtime. And it ended up doing really, really well. It was like the title's music for C4, who was the music channel at the time and it was all over radio and top 20 and went gold and stuff and that was our first song that we properly put out i remember thinking like oh man if people like this song like i cannot wait for them to hear these other songs because i think our other songs are even better and of course nothing ever quite lived up to the success of downtime because it was downtime was this weird song it was kind of four to the floor dance and hip-hop mm. song it's got the most bizarre structure if you go back and listen to it, it's all over the show. It was a great lesson because after that, I started sort of chasing that success, like trying to recreate Downtime Part 2 or trying to re just make songs super poppy or like, you know, and we made some songs that I think were not so good and a little bit sort of desperate and maybe stayed away from what made us special. But the record company's only woodcut, isn't it? It's not getting pressure from... the crowd. No, no, it, it, it was just, it was self-imposed pressure. It was kind of like chasing the dragon. Like, you want to have that buzz, you want to see the song in the charts mm. again and um, we've got a gold record and you want another gold record. And I, I started wanting to get more hits and by by doing that, we ended up doing some songs that I think were just um, kind of a bit desperate to try and do that. And, uh, you know, that was my fault. And it ended up, what happened was for me anyway, it ended up being like, oh, man, I don't know if I'm enjoying this anymore. And I like playing the shows with the with the guys and stuff. But I don't know if this is the kind of music that I want to do. And it was because I'd taken it down the wrong path right you know but i guess everything's got to come to an end eventually that's a, but that's a huge life lesson to get it was great <laughs> yeah yeah it was good there i mean it was kind of nice that i had tasted that success early on felt like it was so easy well, you know like i thought this is easy like wait till they hear these other songs and then of course like nothing else ever 
got close to, to that. Because Kids in Space went a few years. Yeah, it? yeah. Kids in Space, we, we did an album and we did a few kind of singles after the album. We would kind of, we were doing shows and touring around and getting on the kind of the festival circuits and stuff around New Zealand. Mm. It was a bit of a weird time because there, I mean, there was nowhere to go in the in the industry. You know, it's such mm. a small industry anyway, and especially even in, at that time, mm. I wasn't a really driven guy in the sense of I was quite happy just kind of. But you wanted a popular song. <laughs> you were driven in that respect. I was driven in that respect, but I'm quite happy just kind of seeing what comes along and like, oh, cool, you know, that kind of thing. Because it didn't seem like you could really make a big career out of it, but I enjoyed doing it, so I was quite happy to keep going along. And I was, you know, mid-20s, so I wasn't too. I wasn't really thinking about how am I going to start saving up for a deposit on a house or, yeah, you know, yeah, doing all that kind of stuff. Um so I was just kind of treading water and there was a, I mean, I remember a time where I was wondering, I wonder if I should get a, like a real job. Like, I wonder if I should actually get a job that is earning me money rather than trying to scrape together. Um, Cause you have no idea where your next money's coming from. Uh, till, until very, very recently, no one in New Zealand could possibly even think of money in the equation. Yeah. And this is exactly the conversation I want to have. You, you've had that crisis point and obviously you didn't take this other job. <laughs> I didn't take that. Uh, yeah. Well, partly because I have nothing on my, the only other job I've had is worked at warehouse stationery. So my CV is not very impressive. All my friends are finished uni and they're all earning money. And then I'm the, I don't have anything. And it was around that time that Joel, Little, and Ella put out the Lord stuff. And for me, that was a major turning point and a major... It was a tectonic shift for all of New Zealand. Totally. I mean, there was no, there was nothing until that. It was like even the management company seemed to be coming out of nowhere yeah. at a level that seemed unexpected. Yeah. It's like, what? It totally, completely shifted everything. And... um it was I liken it to, you know, when whoever it was broke the four minute mile or something, where people say it couldn't be done, and then as soon as someone did it, everyone else realised, oh, it's possible, and you can do it, and suddenly everyone started, you know, breaking those records. And I, I mean, there's so many definitions of success, but it showed that we weren't stuck in New Zealand. I guess it was like the perfect time where blogs were getting big and. People were using the internet more and more to find music and realizing that we weren't like aiming for local radio was no longer the big goal. Australia was no longer. Yeah, Australia was no longer the big thing, you know, so made me realize, well, made everyone realize people are looking down here. You know, if you've got the right song and the right artist at the right time, then you're going to be, then things can work, you know. And so it gave me a massive drive of like, especially because Joel, I mean, Joel is like, he's amazing, he's super talented. He's also just like my mate who he was working down the road. Yeah. And I felt like if there's no reason why I can't do it, if Joel can do it. And, and I don't mean that. And yeah. like, a, if he can do it, then I can do it. Cause like Joel, like I said, like Joel's amazing, but, um, you know what I mean. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I said in my intro, once I heard a New Zealand song, I went, oh, you can do it. Until then, it was impossible. That's why I said it was like a Grimm's fairy tale. Amazing. So I am going to move to leisure in 2014 here. Is it Jaden, the A&R guy? He sort of sounds like he 
Came yep. up with the idea. Did he decide to fund that? Did he decide Sony would put something together? Because that's a you know not. It's not Sony. That was him. Just him. Doing I, it. He. I think he. He was working at Sony, but this was yeah. This was not funded by a label or anything. He had just booked a house for seven days, as a kind of a bit of a holiday thing, a bit of an experiment, and had invited um, us along. And he he had actually invited more people, but people had turned him down or said they can't come or something so leisure could have been very different leisure is obviously a super band because i remember kids of 88 being just they really jumped out so joel was he just producing kids of 88 was he in kids of 88 because it seems like there's this mixture now of you joel produced the first kids of 88 Jaden was playing drums for kids of 88 and co-writing right sam mccarthy and jordan arts were the two like front men all right so he's singing still, is that right? Jordan. Jordan's in leisure. Yeah. Yep. So I've got uh, Jason here, who I've seen his name repeat a few times on your song writing lists. Now, is who? Now I've got. I've got to completely tell you the truth here. I play Leisure's Money every single gig. But um, honestly, I Leisure has been a pleasure. Um, In fact, I. I had um, I had all this uh, tunes lined up because as I was going through your songs, I was listening to them, and um, I just ended up listening to a uh, Twister. <laughs> oh, <laughs> I nice. had Twister in my head on the iPad while I just typed away. Uh, great, just great. It just seems so effortless. I mean, now I did watch the video. It seems like um, the the sort of the making of is it man? I see that you're on the laptop more than Jason, and I don't see anyone else. The, on the way it works is um, we book a house and we grab as much gear as we can and then jace is in one room and i'm in another room so we have two rooms running and then the other three guys like maybe one of us will have two of the two guys and the other guy will have the other guy the the idea is sort of do as much sort of drinking and smoking as you can and write as many songs as you can in about three days before everything comes crashing down Uh, so it's i guess like engineering duties jace and i would share those but it's just tracking at that point, is it? Kind of, you, yeah, 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 tracking yeah. and 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 like play, like playing stuff in as well, like doing beats and all that kind of stuff. And but in terms of production, usually it, like everything's produced by leisure. Everyone has mm-hmm. a say in it, and everyone we've got a really great way of working where I, somehow we've managed to to keep it this way, where you know everyone's got an equal say, and um, if someone has an idea for a a part or doesn't feel like a part is quite right, then um, we can change it. Yeah, and um, you've got the emotional intelligence. So you're in a very lucky place because because I read three articles, I thought, oh, God, there's egos involved. But it seems like... I mean, there's definitely d- disagreements, you know, and there's definitely mo- there's definitely some moments where maybe I'll feel strongly about something and Jane will feel strongly about something else. But then generally what happens is that song just doesn't get used, right. you know. So every song... That gets used kind of has to be signed off by everyone. Oh, that's amazing! But I mean, it could so easily. It's yeah, it's a real balance that we've got going on, in terms of kind of egos. And I think everyone makes an effort to stay open and um, kind of understand what works best for the song mm. and kind of go with what everyone take yourself out of it and yeah, go well, with what everyone else it's a very difficult thing and I was thinking uh, you, they've all experienced members they've all been in bands it seems like everyone's a strong songwriter to yeah, like oh, n- next definitely. level definitely yeah, yeah like all the guys are they're amazing songwriters like I would I consider myself more of a producer than a songwriter you know I do I do do like writing as well but 
Um, like everyone's got their own projects and stuff mm. going yeah. on. How well did Leisure do? Like, we do well off streaming and stuff, you know, and we we can. Our, luckily, our, our audience is uh, are the audience that will buy vinyls and that kind of stuff. Oh, oh cool! And they'll come to our shows and stuff. So we do well. We, I mean, there's kind of six of us now in the band, and the the money that we make just goes back into Leisure, mm. so that we can do trips and you know pay for artists and that kind of stuff and yeah in terms of money that we've actually made we don't make money because we, we've all got jobs and we've all got our own careers so for us leisure is like the it's for leisure yeah you know so we're not a touring band like we do we do do shows and we do do mini tours and stuff but we we're not going to be on the road for six months or doing anything like that are you often sort of going oh let's do this from after 10 o'clock let's light some incense let's get this right depends on who it is totally depends on who the artist is and the best way that they work any examples um yeah like let's say stella uh benny she's got like a really clear idea of what she wants and like lyrics are are really important to her and working with her it's like helping her because she's got so many ideas my role with her is kind of helping her pick pick the parts that that work best. I mean, for for any artist that I work with, I think it's just creating an environment where they feel like they can um, make stuff without worrying about how it's gonna sound or mm. how it's gonna end up, and try and be encouraging and um, let them explore and experiment and try and. Um, help them achieve what they what they want to do. But yeah, every artist is different. Like Evan, who who goes under the name Marla, he's someone who I work with him on getting the the beats and the um, the track sounding inspiring to him, something that he wants mm-hmm. to write on. Yep. And then he'll put in nonsense melodies, melodies that don't have lyrics, and we'll shuffle those around and go, right, That's that can be the verse, that could be the pre, that could be the chorus. And then he likes to take it away and kind of figure out lyrics at home. Right, that's a really efficient way, isn't it, really? That's- uh, it also means that once you leave the studio and you're out of that vibe and you take it home and it's so easy to get stuck on how things sound phonetically and you can, can't get quite get the right lyrics or maybe you're trying to fit lyrics into your mumbles mm. And um, you can get real bad demo-itis if you do it that way. But it can also work really, really well. That first, is it the first Marla single? Um, uh, is it Touch? Was that the first one you did for? I can't remember. I think, um, I think In the Air might have been the first one, but Touch would have been the second one, I think. Touch gives me a little tingle in the nuts. It's a really good yeah, one. Yeah, touch, touch is a, um, that's a, a special song. That's been, yeah, that's, that, that was one of my favourite songs. And it's pretty raw, man. That's like I—I had to go back into the session the other day to I think get some stems or something, and the way that whatever I was doing, like treatment and stuff on it, or everything was so bad. But somehow it kind of works. Okay. (laughs) This episode of Unsung NZ is brought to you by the Rock Shop up there on K Road. Thank you, The Rock Shop. It's also brought to you by our friends over the ditch, Rode Microphones for the Rode Microphones, little pod mics here. And of course, the Rode Podcaster Pro, which is making this all possible. So thanks to the Auckland Rock Shop and Rode Microphones. Cheers. Let's get back to Josh. Josh. 
2016, I haven't got a lot going on here. Yeah, 2016, I would have been working on, um, I would have been working on Mala, I would have been working on um, some uh, open side stuff, leisure stuff, and a bunch of kind of like single, uh, maybe Thea. Oh, yes, of course. Um, and like, I think like a few other pop things. A lot of pop. Oh, it's amazing how the Artisan Award at the 2019 uh, Music Awards, it says Josh Fountain, Various. Now, that's the only time I've ever seen Various. On I think on two sections you are called Various. Like Various Productions, Various Engineering. Yeah, there's because um, I, I think they had changed the criteria for producers and engineers. Because so, I think it used to be you could only use it for one project. But there's not heaps of producers and engineers who get to do like full projects, really, no. uh, especially not in like pop or hip hop or something, you know. So I think they've kind of tweaked those rules, and, and you know, and, and it means like Joel wouldn't be eligible to enter the awards because he maybe he did two of the biggest songs last year, like the Taylor Swift songs and stuff or whatnot, but he didn't do a whole project or album or something. So that might be why it's called various, but. No, I wrote it out. It's for Benny, Foley, Leisure and Mala, <laughs> turns out, is the list. That's quite yeah. amazing, As a, you know, because suddenly there's a pop world and you're in it. Like, you're the, the yeah. centre of it. I've got here 2017 around Christmas is Tough Guy. Is that right? Yeah. So we, um, yeah, I started working with Stella back in 2017 and we we had done like a, maybe in the school holidays, did a week. She's still at school at this point. She's still at school, <laughs> yeah. And we had done, we'd done a, a bunch of songs, but one of them was Tough Guy. Another one ended up being the song called Wishful Thinking, which was on her first EP. Right. And, yeah, so Tough Guy came out at the end of 2017. Um, and that was kind of, that was the start of the the Benny madness. Because here it goes. I've got 2018, we're doing Monster, and now you're just the producer. I found Soaked. And Monster, and I believe you did Soaked, is that right? Yeah, I did Soaked. And Monster are not a million miles apart. And that's against Spike Stent and Master Disc. Because I heard Monster has got that, she's right up in there. Mm. So I went back to Soaked and went, 4% off, dude. Like, really? It's freaking close. Oh, so I thinking, yeah, I feel, I feel like, I, because I hate mix, I, generally I, I have to mix stuff due to, you know, budgetary constraints and stuff. But I really, I don't like mixing. Um, yeah, that's my question. Is the, do you feel the pressure's off now? Because you're going to send yeah. it to Spice. Definitely, <laughs> it, it's amazing. Like, and I've kind of made a decision now that I, I I won't mix things anymore. Like, just because I find it so stressful and tough when you're so close to something, it's so hard to get your perspective back and and realize what are the main parts. And yeah, soaked. I was happy with the way the soaked mix came out. It's pretty boomy, but that's the version that ended up just being released everywhere. And I think it's still, it sounds pretty good. Sounds a bit kind of like muddy, but um, sounds kind of different to other stuff on the radio. Well, I was, I was wearing headphones and the mud wasn't poking out on me. Oh, yeah. but, um, but so. It sounds similar to Monster as well, because that, that was Jace, Stella and I. Jace played guitar on both of those. Um, so it's probably like some similar... Oh, elements, yes, but I elements can tell that that's why I chose those two. But I was thinking one of them is mixed and mastered pretty much by you, and uh, one of yeah. them has gone through a incredible high-end American finaling. Yeah, it's been interesting being on the other side of having someone else mix your tunes because uh, for the so for the first EP we had David Wrench mix it. Okay, and he he was great. He he had kind of he'd done Jungle and some Frank Ocean stuff and super cool guy. But I would like when I gave him the stems for the first bunch of songs, I sort of gave it to him dry and gave it. 
gave all the individual parts and you know if you've got like say for glitter maybe there's like eight layers of drums where there's different like ghost kicks or ghost snare tracks yeah. and if you mess with the volume of those you're going to completely throw off the groove yeah, you know absolutely. so when we got the first mix back i was like oh man like where do i even start with like going these notes because all you want with a mix you want your reference mix but you want it that last five percent yeah better you know or you want a bit more like 3dness or depth to it so i've kind of learned to don't give them too many options in terms of what they can play around with oh that's great information but um like for me i i really struggle with mixing vocals like in the vocals to sound right and i don't know if that's just from years of making beats where i want the beat to be loud and mm. i want my snares to be really loud and stuff um but i've kind of i've learned now if there's things that i really like i like just leave the effects on don't even give them the dry options to play with and um and and kind of give them as many notes and like mix references as you can and and other songs do you mean yeah yeah other yeah, songs yeah. yeah and really it's just about getting like getting someone getting a fresh pair of ears on it really getting someone else's ears to to kind of balance balance things out and um i think yeah it makes such a such a difference like, i love having someone else mix stuff that i've produced oh i'm sure you <laughs> i could understand that completely. i had i just never never even look at it i just i go all, um high art on it go no i'm the creative yeah. well i'm a messy cook which is something you never want to know about clean as they go that's who you want yeah. as your engineer not a flamboyant i'm just tossing a bit of this in yeah i'm definitely like i'm not a i'm, I'm not super you beat yourself up your mixes are so good i you know oh, thanks, I had a man. nightmare situation trying to write a pop christmas song for Shorten that's Street. right i came straight to that's your, right i know who will sort this shit out for me because I'm just a club DJ who's allowed to have their drums loud. But, um, you know, your mixes are so on point, it's ridiculous. That's sort of, I, I feel that um, your 2018 uh, must have been um, pretty much a Benny type. Yeah, did you, to, once she's out there on the road, you don't have to anything to do with it? You just... Nah, that's Love the it. beauty of it. That's why I like being in the studio and doing the production. You get to make the song, but you don't have to sing it every night. Um, so I still help out with the live show in terms of, you know, helping the band rehearse and... and getting stems for them and do they drum to a backing track how's that all work depends on the tv uh, track there's or? like there might be some like for some of the songs the sound of the drums are, are quite sort of integral to the sound so some songs the drummer will drum over the top or if there's like there's be a percussion track or something mm. and then there might just be extra little you know effects or synth parts that happen in the second verse or something right. or like We'll have maybe some BVs and that kind of stuff yeah. that um, that play an important part in the yeah. song. Um, there might be slightly different structured like versions of the songs for live. Yeah. Then I heard the Foley song. It sounds like this is the second one that I that I really really loved. Do you, can you remember what I'm talking about? Uh, would that be? Yeah, this one. Settle. It's just settle, mate. This is January eighth, two thousand eighteen. Unbelievable. Um, yeah. So that's um, fake. That's the Rickenbacker contact bass. Oh, is it? Yeah. So, yeah, I have got Foley, which I said I love. You're getting married at some stage in 2018, or is that 2019? When does that Oh, happen? yeah, I got married at the start of 2018. Okay, so right up the front of there. Okay. Then in 2019, I've got Paige, Bailey Wiley, 
obviously the huge Leisure album, the second one. So yeah, we would have done that. The Leisure album was probably finished in 2018, but it came out 2019. We did our like Europe tour. How was that? Amazing. Yeah, that was great. Yeah, we went away for a month or so. It's pretty proper. And so, because it, it's a good vibe, you kind of get a good crowd. Was it sort of nicer venues and stuff? <laughs> like, uh, it was pretty, like London was, we sold out London, but you're kind of playing to Kiwis in London. Mm. We did France, oh, we did Paris, which was cool, but that's like way more of a club room. We did Berlin, which was awesome. That was great. Oh, we, we did a, a couple of gigs. We went back to England and did a like the um, that music festival yeah, in Brighton. Yeah. But the main thing that we did was we hired a chateau in France. Um, for a week and a bit to do some writing. Wow, that's living so that, the dream. Well, that we did that because that was that we we joked about that when we first started Leisure, that we'll do the second album in the south of France, and it wasn't the south of France, but it was in France in this amazing chateau. So yeah, so that was um, that was the Leisure Tour 2019, and yeah, also yeah, we worked with Paige. Um, are these acts coming to you at this stage, or are you finding? Cause yeah, luckily I'm I'm sort of. Um, like for the for the last few years, at least people have been been approaching me, which has been really nice. Awesome. Now you're in a great position. I'm a more is more guy. It's terrible. The number one mistake of music production. Hey, more would be good. Yeah, I'm very guilty. I'm very guilty of that of just chucking heaps of stuff in, and I'm really good at overcooking a song, taking what was special and magic about a song, and sucking that life out of it by just keep by adding too much stuff. Well, you're beating yourself up because obviously in the final process of things, you've you've gone through all that, and that's why mixing's hard because you got to get rid of yeah. all those things. Yeah, that's the yeah yeah you're right because things that sound big and huge are probably what's getting in the way of the vocal, and you know you really you can't see the forest for the trees a lot of the time. So you want everything to be loud and wide and big, but of course if everything's loud and wide then nothing sounds loud and wide. What's that little soundbite in the Tame um, Impala one? Hey, what, what, how hard can it be? If you want more bottom end, just turn up the bottom end. And then you're going, uh, it's not really. Because it's all <laughs> a fake art. You're, you're, you're telling speakers to tell lies, you know. Yeah. He's such a poet, you kind of got to, you got to zero in on what he's saying because he's actually got something. He, he obviously spends the time to make sure he says the right thing because that's very, very important to him. Right. It's like, I don't think I could have done, like working yesterday with Leisure On, I don't think Tame Impala is quite as easy to just sit Right. Yeah. Well, that's that's uh, yeah. That's a great compliment. That's kind of our goal is like keep things simple, capture a vibe. Yeah. I mean, I always remember Jaden saying he likes the idea of leisure being a band that you go and see, and you go, huh, I could do that. Like they're not doing anything super special. Like you'd be in the crowd. Like it's just like kind of cool music, mm. and um, like we're not like. I guess Jason's actually doing some solos, but um, you know it's hey, no because you know like I was saying I'm doing this bar music and it's harder than you think. So you know, Leisure sat in exactly that situation. It was beautiful music. It kept on changing over. Like it really just ticked on in the background. Effort, like it is effortless. Yeah, I mean I wish I could take sole credit for that, but that is definitely a group. Um, I was nervous about going down Leisure. I did warn you that I. I just don't. I just don't want anyone to think. That I am the I am the no, mastermind behind leisure because I I am not. Have you all known each other for a long no, time? No, so that first leisure week, um, that was the first time I'd met. Holy! Like, I, I might have met Jace once, but first time I met Tom. First time I'd probably hung out with Jordan. The first week of leisure where we did got it bad and like a bunch of songs. That was those. That was like the first time we had worked together. Wow. And so I see Jason. Um, sort of appear on a few of your little songwriting things now. Yeah, so Jason, Jason, he's a frequent collaborator with me. 
and he he obviously he plays guitar in leisure so he's a great guitarist first off but he's also he's a really great songwriter great like lyricist and so he's great at throwing out ideas because oh, nice. a lot of the time it can be hard to switch your brain from sort of production mode into songwriting mode or try and help an artist and also have a vibe going or a beat going and working on that side of things so I really like working with Jace because he's he can be a bouncing board for the artist in terms of lyrics or kind of melody things. I can concentrate on production and the sounds and also kind of be the big picture guy. Right. So they can say, what do you, what do you think of this? And I say, oh, yeah, that sounds great. What if it kind of lifted up here or what? I feel like that chorus could be stronger or... Um, you know, it's so it's just it makes it a way more economical way of yeah. working. And you heard that it has to be three. You know that, eh? Hey, oh, three. Yeah, it has to be three because otherwise no decision gets made. Oh, right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, I mean, yeah. Three, three's three's perfect. Um, so I'm sort of getting into the modern times now. So you had the 2019 awards, which we spoke about, and you kind of got best producer there for various things, and then you had a baby right on Christmas or something, wasn't it? Like, wasn't it the baby? Yeah, it was a really great. 2019 man we had um so the first benny ep came out and uh, yeah i won producer of the year which was something that had been on my my bucket list since mains i remember angus mcnaughton he had won it one year for sjd and i always remember saying i'm gonna win that one day so it was a, it was a big deal for me to to win that because that was something that i'd wanted for a while even though you kind of win it and you go ah oh, right well cool i guess like i've got it now <laughs> nothing changes yeah. um and then yeah i had a baby christmas eve so it was a great 2019 um signed my publishing deal how's that looking great well it's, funnily enough i signed my publishing deal before super lonely started getting massive super lonely is so massive it's ridiculous how's how well is that song going uh, it's going really really well it's uh yeah over over 300 million streams and 660 outsold you on the 2019 sales award and is like, curse those TikToks making you no money. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah, no money to be made in TikTok. But um, yeah, I mean, yeah, Superlearning's done amazing on streaming and stuff and it's doing really well on American radio, which is super exciting. Um, Do you have a co-writer on that one? That, so last year, um, kind of in September, Stella and I went over to the States for a couple of weeks and did some sessions with some US writers and producers. And what did you learn in that situation? That, is that the first time you'd been right in the room with sort of pro? Or uh, I, I mean, I had done, I've done a few trips to the States in the past and um, like on the back of our leisure trip, Jason and I, we stayed in the UK for a week and, and went back via LA for a week to do sessions and all that kind of stuff. So I, I had kind of done it before, but um, Stella hadn't. And the whole idea was to introduce Stella to new ways of working and, you know, meet other people and mm -hmm. do all that kind of thing because she was supposed to be spending more time in the States this year and all that kind of stuff. It was, I mean, it was pretty full on, like five days a week sessions. Which is enough, which is, I mean, too, it was too much in the end. Right. But she had been in the States for um, a week or so beforehand shooting the glitter video. And I arrived on a Friday. And then Saturday, we went in um, and wrote Super Lonely with um, a girl called Jenna, who I had actually met here through Song Hubs. Oh. When I'd done Song Hubs. Right. Yeah. And that was, that, that was crazy. That song just sort of came together in that. We did it all in one day, and um, 
the demo is not that different to what you're you're hearing. We 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 made a part for Gus Stapperton, who's the feature on it. Like when I brought it back to New Zealand, but otherwise everything else is there. And I had to really restrain myself um, in terms of not adding things. Well, like I said before, that sounds like a genuine singer-songwriter artist who's come in with a fully-fledged thing and you've captured it. And So that's right. a real trick. You know, that's oh, cool. like making a motion picture feel like it happens in real time, which yeah. is totally the lie. So that, yeah. Well, Super Lonely, you know, like I said. So the trip was worth it. And we, I mean, it was great. It was a great experience just um, for Stella because, you know, we had some not-so-good sessions and it was pretty exhausting, you know. And she, she got to work with um, other people and some kind of like bigger name top liners and stuff and, and realise actually maybe that way that does not work for her or, um, you know. Hate this concept of top liner. Yeah. <laughs> what? I mean, I love it. I love it, but I'm yeah, a producer. Yeah, but um, as an artist, you know, the, Stella knows what she wants to say and she has a particular way that she wants to say it and it means a lot that it's her words. You know? Yeah, well, she's an artist, not a singer. You, you give a singer a top line. You don't, yeah, right. t- you don't give an artist a top line. That's just embarrassing. That, that's the bit. Yeah. What do you mean you're getting in some guy to say, oh, I just go, la-la-la-la-la-la. Oh, yeah, la-la's are good. But there is a la-la in your one that kills. <laughs> hey, um, so I've got 2020, a moogie. How do you say that's A moogie. A moogie. Oh, yeah, a moogie. Yeah, I, again, a moogie, uh, they are probably the loveliest people that I've ever worked with. They're so awesome. And I love their music, but... For some reason, that music's never come out. I've mixed it, but they're no longer signed to their label that was paying me. Right. And I've, we did this whole EP where that guy's am- he's an amazing producer, but none of it's ever come out, so I don't know what's going on with it. A bit weird. But that, yeah, it's a shame, but they're awesome. How has 2020 worked? Because obviously for um, Benny, it sort of changed things, and she got to Jimmy Fallon on TV live, and she was obviously supposed to be in the States, but it doesn't seem like this has hurt her. How's that worked out for you? Cause yeah, I mean, it has. it's affected her... A lot more than it's affected me. She's she was supposed to be on tour in the states, and ow, that's been um, that's been a bummer for her. And obviously, it would have been great with Super Lonely doing so well if she had been on the ground over there yeah, I'm sure. for promo. And how she feel about it? She doesn't mind. She loves being at home. And um, well, what it's meant for us is that we've been able to just work on the album. Oh, cool. Because otherwise, otherwise she would have been on tour, and she probably would have been. Ended up working with other people and done sessions and stuff over there. So it's been great for me because it's meant that I've got to do more work on it and we've been able to concentrate on just getting getting this album done and we're we're getting there. We've picked all the songs that we want, so now we just got to finish them off. Oh, awesome. And I heard today when I was picking you up, coded words went in front of me. You're like, I like that one and I like this. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah. For, for me at the moment, I'm just focusing on getting this album done because that's the main so thing. So you've chosen the songs, they're pretty much written. There's parts that she wants to redo and re-record, and there's still like lots of finishing off that needs to be done. But we've we've got the songs. We know what we're doing now, so that's been good. So it's actually for me, lockdown was great because um, you're stuck you know, in a little room. I'm stuck in a room. I you know I, I at the time my baby was you know three four months old. So had had we not been in lockdown or had none of this happened there would have been a lot of pressure for me because of the success of Super Lonely I would have felt a lot of pressure to be away from family and it was so good for me because I was just able to be at home I was still able to work from home and, and finish stuff off but it meant I was able to be around with you know see the first laugh and all that kind of stuff also all the special stuff that I otherwise would have missed so it actually kind of worked out really well for me it was a, r- a real bittersweet time because 
for everyone else around me, it was tough, you know, with work drying up and mm. tours being cancelled and stuff. And then for me, things were going really well. I've just changed my life after COVID. I might do a little lockdown for two months yeah, next I year. I love it. Into it. <laughs> well, well, because we never actually had a pandemic, we could enjoy it. Hey, look, well, let's get off that. I'm going to really wrap this up pretty much, but I am always hoping for two last things out of everyone. Who do you think I need to talk to? Who's the unsung hero that I'm missing? Um, ooh, I reckon... Typing this down. A really interesting person to talk to would be Montel. Montel 29.9. Whoa, I'm loving this already. Who is Montel? He's a producer from, I can't remember if he's from, I don't think he's from Auckland. I think he's from some small town, but he's like, he's he's become massive now in that kind of, it's kind of like trap, kind of instrumental music, but kind of beats stuff. But he's massive now. Oh, wow. And he's, ama- he's an amazing producer. He'd be real interesting to talk to. Oh, cool. Except, like, Sam DeJong would be really interesting to talk uh, to. Ah, yes, yes. Because he's, he's someone the, who... deets? <laughs> I can give you his details for sure. <laughs> Thank you. He's, he'd be really interesting because he... So he works out of Joel's place in LA. He does a lot of pop stuff. Yeah. He'd be... Yeah, I think he'd be really interesting to talk to. Smokey Got Beats. He's uh, involved with all the, like, Swidit dudes, but also yeah, he does a lot of stuff for... Um, like he's got a lot of placements with like big artists and yeah, he's amazing as well. That Sweated album ran the full gamut of emotion. I was really impressed by that album. Yeah, you know, an actual tearjerker is, you know, because I was thinking, this is New Zealand hip hop, it's about as good as what I'm hearing anywhere right now. Mm-hmm. And then suddenly to have the passing of the grandmother and the argument in the family and the tears on my jacket, I can't hack it. I said, an honest to goodness tearjerker. Mm-hmm. And obviously recorded at a time where the emotion was raw. I think this just doesn't happen. I mean, I remember Michael Jackson pretending to cry, yeah. you know, because he, he could act. Yeah. But this was, I got feels. Yeah, you know, that album totally. had, and when every game, it went party jam, it went dirty. Um, you know, sexy talk doesn't happen in New Zealand very often. Yeah. You know, so suddenly they were just so free and open about that as well. And I was like, yeah. oh man, there's a slow jam, sexy slow jam. Wow. So yeah, I've got to talk to them. That, cool. that album was incredible. So here's my last question. What's the song you're most proud of? That's a tough one because... Obviously, I'm proud of like Super Lonely or any of the Benny songs, Glitter or Soaked or something. Why? Well, just, just, I mean, I guess just from a, in terms of success point of view, I'm proud of those. I'm proud of what I, what what I've done production wise on those and like kind of what I went through to get those songs to where they're at and what I had to, the restraint that I had to put in place, which I felt like took a lot of energy from me because I usually I want to throw stuff in so I was, I'm pleased that those songs have done well but probably the song that I'm most proud of at the moment would be um, a song called Crashing on the new Mala album which came out maybe at the end of last year and that song was super special that was one that um, Evan wrote and I was kind of helping out with production on it but that, just the way that song all came together and the way it sounds um, is something I'm really proud of. And it was recorded in like two takes from like start to finish and we kind of captured a vibe and um, I feel like we got all the sounds right and it still kind of gives me chills when I listen to it, you know. So I'd say that one is probably 
the song that I'm most proud of. Well, if you can give yourself feels off your own song. I know. It must good. be a good one. <laughs> yeah. 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 Well, that's exactly what I want to know. I will find some fair use amount that I can shove under the, yeah. the end of this. I started this podcast sort of creating a history of the minds behind the songs, but to suddenly have you on board um, as someone so current and just, you know, you're on the international scene in a way that, you know, before Lord I would never have known existed. I'm super proud of you for the amount of work that you're putting out and the, to hear yourself beating yourself up about... Um, reducing back it's good for me to hear because I always think God he's so clean and clear and it's just what he needs is only you know t- to know it's not easy is um, what I want everyone to hear <laughs> right, yeah oh thanks appreciate that hey well thank you very very much and there you go okay for you anything else you want to say no, that was great that was fun it's always nice to go down memory lane so yeah I really appreciate you having me on see you around on the street thanks see man everybody. see ya thank you Keep on kicking me down to my knees With the blood on your hand and the lightning crash When our dead eyes meet You keep on kicking me down to my knees With the blood on your hand and the lightning crash When our dead eyes meet To your jaw, thumb to your cheek Cutting up my words and you wouldn't let me speak And I only feel high pressure with you We've been here before, fire at our feet Feel it burning down in the middle of the street And I only feel high pressure with you When it all comes crashing Keep on kicking me down to my knees With the blood on your hand and the lightning crash When our dead eyes meet Strap me down when it's what you need With the voice in your head and the word on your lip When you feel them leave you in the reflection Tell me what you all about yeah, Meet me in the late light rain And feel it falling down our faces We know we don't feel the same But we just gotta keep on trying In one flesh I feel it falls